thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through his word. Thy praise confess, yea, of thy word, my tongue would sing, yea, of thy word, my tongue would sing, for thy commands are Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Greetings. You know, the Bible tells us that we are saved by hope. Hope that maketh not ashamed. When we put our trust in God, it's not as though doing so somehow we're going to be let down. Amen? Some put their trust in chariots and other in horses, but we will trust in the Lord. In our day of great blessings, though, we might have said this way, some put their trust in themselves and in their abilities and in their strengths. Um, But we know that this will certainly fail us. Jesus never fails. Never. Everybody say never. never. And sometimes the best thing that we can be faced with in our own life is our own powerlessness and our own weakness. Because the truth is that we are indeed helpless before an all-powerful God. In Psalm 116, David said it this way. He said, I love the Lord because He hath heard my voice and my supplications. As he began this, he's likening, these words are likened unto the cry of a child that cries out. You know how you're, you know, things are going well in your house and then you hear, you know, and you, and you go and you run, right? And you go there and you help to come to meet that need. God hears us when we cry. When we go, Daddy, you know, from the other room, it's not that Dad's not going to come or Mom's not going to come. He hath inclined his ear unto me, and therefore will I call upon him for as long as I live. The sorrows of death can pass me. The pains of hell got hold of me, and I found trouble and sorrow. And then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous, yea, our God is merciful. He preserves the simple. I was brought low and he helped me. Return unto me thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death and mine eyes from tears and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believe, therefore, have I spoken. I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste that all men are liars. What shall I render unto the Lord for all His benefits toward me? David is talking about the fact that the worst thing, the worst pit he has ever been in has been the sorrow of 
death of losing those. He has felt helpless to reach down and to pull them out. But he cried unto God. And although no one would hear him and could help him, God could. He said, I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all of his people. And then he says this, precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thy handmaiden. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of the old Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. Let's say, praise ye the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, we're gathered together as your people today, invited by you to come into your house to forget those things which are behind, to lay aside the weights and sins that have beset us, and and to come into a place of rest today. Lord, we come longing to hear your voice, longing to know that we are forgiven of our sins, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, Lord, and you said that if we were so, that you would fill us, that you would feed us from heaven. And so we ask today for you to feed us from heaven. We do not need to ask a blessing on that food, for that is the blessed food of heaven. And we pray, O God, that you would bless us with your food from heaven today. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said amen. standing for just a few more moments as I read my text for you today. My sermon today is called From Helplessness to Faith. My text is from Luke chapter 9 uh, verses 43 through 45. Hear the word of the Lord. Luke 9 43 says this, and they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered every one at all the things which Jesus did, He said unto his disciples, Let these sayings sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not the saying, and it was hid from them that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. Let us pray. Lord God, speak to us from your word today from this very dramatic encounter of Jesus and the boy who was held by an evil spirit. Lord, I pray that through it, O God, that we would hear your voice and it would speak to us and it would take us from helplessness to faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I picked the particular verses from the story of Jesus' encounter with the boy with a deaf and dumb spirit because of the few particular words only included in Luke's account. When you're reading Jesus uh, speaking and he stops and he says something like this, Now let what I'm about to say sink into your ears. Now, if Jesus says that, what should that make us want to do? What is he about to say? 
He was wanting them to learn something particular. Let the words that I'm about to say sink into your ears. And so, I will say to you today, as Jesus said to them, hear the word of the Lord and hear the story that the three gospel writers all wrote down for us in great detail. And let these sayings sink into your ears. Helplessness is a horrible feeling. I dream about it. Everybody has things they dream about, but I dream about being in situations that are terrifying and there's nothing I can do. I think about them. I, my mind is an active thing. One time our we were just on a family walk and my little girl, Rebecca, um, there, was a, there was an old fence post made of metal and it was below the grass. She didn't see it. And it sliced her leg deep down to where you could see the muscle. And later I got to thinking, what if it had cut the artery? Which is very, it's, we probably wouldn't have made it to the hospital. It's not like you can get in the car fast enough uh, for, to save that. Sometimes these, you know, I relive like different scenarios in my mind. I know one of the, at least one of the Narwhal boys kind of got a taste of this this week. Obviously the, the Narwhal pew here is empty. Um... Now, I wasn't there, obviously, but Jonathan Ashley, they told me uh, about the story of the birth of Melody Joy. Have you guys heard the story? I won't go into the whole thing. I don't have time for it. But, you know, two brothers, both having a baby on the same day, two blocks away, two hours apart, with the same midwife running back and forth. Come on, guys. Pretty great, right? But now part of the story that he told me that I will relate to you is that Ashley had started her labor uh, she had kind of had inklings of it the evening before, and this was a longer and more painful labor than she had encountered with Nora. And so it was about one or two o'clock in the morning when the midwives arrived, and uh, Ashley was like, you know, the pain was like she's trying to make faces, and and you know she's trying to be, and I know this is hard to believe about Ashley, but she's trying to be discreet, you know. Uh, but I can see the, I know what the looks on her face. She's like, it was bad, you know, and, uh, no, seriously, she'd say, no, it was. And so I'm like, oh, I, I'm starting to picture this. And Jonathan is sort of starting to describe it. And he said, you know, uh, he goes, this is really hard, you know, to, to see your wife in pain and, and, and there's nothing you can do. I said, oh, I said, was there screaming and yelling and carrying on that started early? And she goes, oh yes, lots of screaming, lots of yelling, uh, as the contractions came. And so when they came, it was almost like you know, what you would expect to be close to birth went on for hours before. And it was horribly painful for Ashley. And as I had been working on my sermon, uh, I know this sounds very much like a man, but it was making me think about Jonathan, not necessarily about Ashley. And I was thinking, you know, it's a hard thing. And I know it's a horrible thing, the pain of birth and, and the things that you women go through, but I'm not a woman and I can't understand them. Uh, but as a man, to watch my wife go through that is a horrible thing. How many, how many know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. You know, well, and, and what is so horrible about it is there's nothing you can do about it. In fact, it needs to happen for the baby to get here. And so you're like thinking, you know, you know, what, what do I do? And so, so Jonathan was, he said, he said at a certain point, he said, I just had to just check out and just go, okay, you know, this is what's going to happen, you know. Because there's something in your heart that wants to stop it, but you can't stop this kind of pain. It must come, right? Helplessness. 
Many times during the births of my own children watching Andrea go through these contractions again and again, uh, nothing to stop them uh, was difficult. God has made me a man who identifies with the pain of other people and particularly of this woman. And so, you know, I've been made fun of many times for the fact that I get in pain and I get sick and, you know, whatever. Uh, And I know it's not to be compared, but there is, I believe at the root of it all, though, is I'm a problem solver, you know. Uh, If if someone's having an issue, like, I I can't just watch it and go, wow, that's really difficult. Like, I think, okay, what could I get? What could I do? You know, could I get a cloth to put on her head? Or what if I fanned her? Or, Or what if I got this? Or... But then, but Steve, in the end, when there's nothing you can get and there's nothing you can do, what, what comes to you? You're just like, you're helpless. Maybe it's like war, though, where you think you die for somebody, you know, in your imagination, but really you would be a coward. But many of us would, we say we would like to take the pain for them. Um, but for me, it all boils down. I hate the feeling because I'm a fighter. And when you find that you can't fight it, you can't stop it, you can't solve it. If not in childbirth, many of you understand keenly the feeling of helplessness. I don't know if you have despised it in the way that I have, but watching a biological parent live selfishly and watch it hurt, the child that you're caring for and you can't do anything to stop it. I've seen many times a young child who is thinking their daddy's coming to a birthday party and he isn't going to come. And you can't do anything about it. You can't stop what's happening to them. You wish you could. You wish you could make the circumstances different, but you cannot. Having to witness a child growing up and walk down paths that you know will bring them pain and you try to stop them from them, but you, but you can't. Helplessness settles and constricts around your heart like a serpent does. And you feel the squeezing pain like death itself coming to you. How many know what I'm talking about? Watching somebody do things to themselves or things happen to them. It's totally out of your hands. All you can do is watch. Nothing you can say, nothing you can do will change what is coming. I believe God has given us a story about this. There's a story about a boy who has a deaf and dumb spirit. And when I read it at first, I thought, well, you know, that just must be that what ignorant people in their day, you know, described it as. And I don't mean Jesus, just the people talking, they called it this. But then when Jesus addressed it as a deaf and dumb spirit, I said, well, maybe they weren't so ignorant after all. Because if Jesus called it a deaf and dumb spirit, then it was. I mean, imagine this. A spirit that makes you unable to talk and unable to hear. An evil spirit. That's bad. And that spirit, even though it did a lot of bad things to this boy, it was known as a deaf and dumb spirit. Now this story kind of made me go some places I didn't really want to go. And I'm reading this and studying this and thinking about what in the world is Jesus trying to teach? What is he getting us to, Tim, where he's saying, all right, what just happened before your eyes and what I'm going to say, I want this to sink into your ears. And so I thought, what is it that he wants them to know? What is it that he's wanting to sink into their ears? And more importantly for us today, what does he want to sink into ours? 
He is taking the reality of our own helplessness, a place that we will find ourselves again and again, over and over, and He's taking us to that point because either that point will take us to despair or it can take us to faith. And I believe that on the other side of helplessness for the people of God, that there's faith. Helplessness can cause us to just want to quit, want to despair, but Christ is bringing us to that place not to cause us to do that, but to cause us to realize that we're weak and that where we're helpless, He is not. Our story is told in Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 23. It's in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 32, and Luke 9, 37 through 45. Like we have found in many of the other stories common to the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew's account is the most general account. And it still takes ten verses to tell the story, even in this bare bones uh, description of the story. Mark's account is uncharacteristically expansive, being the short 16-chapter book compared to a 28-chapter Matthew or uh, a John that's you know closer uh, to 20. Mark's account takes 19 verses to tell this story. And Luke, though, where I've taken my text, has the sharpest edge, though, I believe, on the main reason God have providentially brought us these events. I believe that the main thrust of the message Christ was teaching here to His disciples was this. Jesus was not always going to be here in the flesh. Wouldn't life be so much easier, Benita? If instead of calling me on the phone, you could call Him. Right? Wouldn't it be much better, Annie, you know, when something's happening in your life, you know, I can come and I can lift a beam maybe or whatever or help you get your van out or something like that. But if you could call Jesus... And he would show up at your house and take care of whatever needed to happen. Life would be great, wouldn't it? Well, the disciples had an experience that we don't have. They lived with him. They watched him live. They watched him heal. They, they, They lived with him. And they were going to have to live with the fact that he wasn't going to be there. Um... I have wrongly expressed some criticisms of my children and frustrations with them from the pulpit, and I'm going to try not to do that uh, anymore. I'm going to try to be better at that, and I pray that you would all forgive me for doing it. Uh, But one of the things that uh, can be frustrating to a father is when, uh, you know, someone tells me, well, the reason why your children are unable to do X, Y, Z is because you do it. And if you weren't there doing it for them, they'd learn how to do it themselves. And, and the reason why you can't get people in your church to do things is because you do so many things. And they think, well, who, you know, he can do them better than us, so we won't do them. And maybe all that's true. But if it's true, how much more true could it have been of Jesus? He was doing it, and he was doing it right, and he was saying it right. And, he, and, and so could it, should it have just made them helpless and they couldn't do it? So they weren't going to do it? And in a sense, you'll find out. Their helplessness was very, very evident, and that's what the story is about. You see, Jesus was not always going to be there in the flesh to save the day, to cast out the Spirit, to heal the boy, to have faith for them when they realized they were helpless to do anything about it. He was going to die, and they would need to grow up from helplessness, from faithless children that they were, to the faith-filled fathers of the church. And really, that's what God's calling us to 
So having a good example or having someone who has faith in your life is no excuse because if anybody had it, the disciples had it. Amen? Now let's remember where we are in the life of Jesus when the story happens. Sometimes when, we're, when we take these little stories in Scripture, we miss the, the, the scene. And so I want to kind of take you to the scene. You guys ready to go there with me? All right. Jesus had been up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, he was there with Peter, James, and John. He had right before the Mount of Transfiguration encountered... Uh, the woman with the issue of blood and Jairus' daughter, who was his only daughter. And he had raised her from the dead. And, but the rest of the disciples weren't part of that. Peter, James, and John were. So Peter, James, and John are with him when he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. And they, so Jesus is somewhere else, right? And then he takes Peter, James, and John to the Mount of Transfiguration. So Jesus is away. Now imagine this. Imagining following someone like Jesus who can do all that he does... And he leaves you and he goes away and he kind of leaves you with the store. Alright? So he's so they're back at home base, and here they are, the scribes are coming, and the Pharisees are coming, and the people who want to be healed are coming, but Jesus isn't there. And so they start going, hey, well, what about this? And let me tell you about this. And, 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 and what does this mean? And what is this? And hey, I got someone for you to heal. And the disciples are failing miserably. They're there, and you get the picture that as Jesus is coming down from the mountain, all of a sudden people are like, well, there he is, and the crowd's running to him, and people are going, hey, 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 hey. I mean, can you sort of see this? Can you imagine being the nine, Steve? You know, the nine, they're not Peter, James, and John. Jesus is there, and they're just kind of going, uh, <laughs> we're glad you finally came back. I mean, this was pretty rough. But the deal is, is this was going to be the way it was after Jesus died. He wasn't going to be coming down from the mountain anymore. He wasn't going to be coming to to have faith for them. And so he put them in a situation to begin to understand life without him. And so then through what ends up happening, he makes this point more acutely sharpened in their lives. And so we'll see this, okay? Mark chapter 9. Since Mark is so expansive, it has so many more details we're going to... I'm not going to go through Matthew, and I'm not going to go through Luke and all that. I'm just going to go through Mark. And I'll end with the, the words from the book of Luke. Verse 14. And when he came to his disciples, it says in the other accounts, when he came down from the hill... You know, the Mount of Transfiguration. When he came down from the hill, there they were. He saw a great multitude about them and scribes questioning with them. And they're there and everyone's gaggled around and they're talking. And, 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 and uh, it says in verse 15, And straightway all the people when they beheld him were greatly amazed. And they were running to him and greeting them. Can you see this? You can see it, can't you? They're running to Jesus. This must have felt like chaos to the disciples. They were trying to answer questions. They were trying to be Jesus to those they could. You see, Jesus had told them, Behold, I give you power. Do you guys remember this? He had already done this. Behold, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy and nothing by any means is going to harm you. So Jesus had given them the power. He had given them power that we don't have. And you might say, well... Oh, well, the Bible's for all of us. The Bible is for all of us, but the, that wasn't for us. You know? 
Nothing by any means is going to hurt you. You can do anything. You, can, you, can, you have all this power. They had the power. We don't have that power. And I'm pretty sure we don't, or else there would still be some people living from the days of Christ today who just had enough faith, and they had enough faith and they'd still be alive, and no, no sickness would ever come to them. We would have people that were eight, 900,000 years old. I mean, real people of faith, would we not? I wasn't... He was going to give them his power so they could establish the church. And you, you, you don't read stories later on about the disciples encountering people and not being able to heal them. In fact, there was a time when Peter, he doesn't encounter them. He doesn't talk to them. He doesn't touch them. He walks by. And his shadow touches the, them and they're healed. He prays for articles of cloth and they take the cloth from where they are to where the people are and the people get healed. These guys had the power right then. But they didn't know how to walk in it. They didn't know how to live in it because they were with Jesus and He was doing it all. And He was trying to explain to them, if you had any faith... See, people take what Jesus is about to say and do and they attribute it to us. Derek, if you could just believe, you could say to that mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. I don't believe that in one minute that 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 applies to every person on earth. And I think it would be silly for us to imagine that it did. I mean, imagine all the people in all the world, all the mountains that would be moved. I don't like that mountain. In fact, I'd like a pasture for my cattle, okay? Could you move over here to this guy's property so I could have me a flat spot? It's like all the, everybody who goes in a boxing ring, they both pray that God will help them win, right? So w- which one wins? You know? This is insane. This is not, this is no real way to think. So he asked the scribes, what questions are you asking them? So he immediately starts engaging them. What are you asking them? And while he is dealing with the questions that they can't answer, a man speaks up in the crowd and says, Master, I brought my, my son... And has a dumb spirit. Luke 9 tells us even more about the situation. In Luke 9, 38, he said, Behold, the man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is my only child. So Jairus' daughter was his only daughter, but this boy is this man's only, only child. Not just his only son, his only child. So here you have a man, and it's his only child, and he brought him to the master, and they couldn't heal him. Lo, the Spirit taketh him. He suddenly cries out. It tears him. He foams at the mouth. And the bruising of his body hardly ever goes away. Now, could you imagine being there and being the disciple? I mean, this is not like... This is a bad situation. Talk about helplessness. Everybody say helplessness. This would bring a sense of helplessness and desperation like little more could. As I began to kind of go down the details of the story, the more that I looked into the details and the words in it, the more desperate and helpless I felt, Steve. I started saying, oh, I think I do understand. I was praying, God, I need you to speak to me. I'm trying to understand what this is all about. You see, this little boy is not just his only son, he's his only child, and he's possessed by a devil. Imagine it. Just picture that. God gives you one child, Heath, and he's possessed with the devil. And you're sure of it because of the things that He does. Would it torment you day and night if that were all that it was? If all it was you heard the groanings that came from Him sounded unhuman and He was out of control? That would be enough. But that's not all the situation was. He was His only Son. It had made Him deaf and it had made Him dumb. 
Not only was he suffering, but he couldn't speak. You couldn't ask him what he was groaning and what he was hurting about. The Bible tells us that even though he couldn't speak, that he could cry. Oh, what, what more does it do to you than when you hear your child crying out in pain and you can't come to the aid of them because you don't know what's wrong. You don't know what to fix. It's his only child. He's possessed by a devil. He can't hear and he can't talk, but he can cry. And he cries out in desperation and his bruises are over his body. He's foaming at the mouth. His teeth are being ground down to stubs. He's throwing himself into the water to drown himself and throwing himself into the fire to burn himself. He can't be left alone for a moment. Picture this. You guys know Tiffany that has visited our church before. She had a brother and his brother was not tormented like this with an evil spirit, but he was always on the verge of dying. Tiffany said she was probably almost... 15 years old before she was ever able to leave her home hardly that her mother had to be right there with her brother lest at any moment he would choke to death that he had a swallowing issue and so when after he died she said I felt bad that I was free that I could go places that's why Tiffany travels and wants to do some of the things she does she said I never my mother could never go outside with me she could never take me anywhere she always had to be right there can you imagine having a little brother could you imagine having a child in your home that you couldn't turn your head away from lest he try to kill himself at any moment wouldn't this be tormenting and as he began to read the description of it even more it says and the boy was wasting away he was a vigilant enough father to stop him from committing suicide but The ravages of the Spirit were slowly emaciating him and he was wasting away and dying day by day because of the influence of this evil spirit. This is a desperate, desperate, helpless situation and a father is coming and he is... He even asked Jesus, he says, if there's anything you can do. Verse 18, wherever he takes him, he tears him. He foams, he gnashes his teeth, he pines away. That means his, his body was wasting away day after day after day. We learn later that this didn't just start happening six months ago. It just didn't start happening a year ago, but it's been going on for years. Watching this foul spirit tear his flesh, grind his teeth to stubs, see his spit foam on his mouth like a rabid dog day after day as his body wastes away and his health deteriorates the man told Jesus this I spoke to the disciples that they would cast him but they could not you can read this story real quick and it seems like it's not a big deal but if you think about what's going on this is this is huge Jesus responds in a way that I'm not exactly sure what the emotion is behind it, but it's pretty rough. He answers and he says, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. You might go, Oh, well, I'm not sure he said it like that. I, I don't know how he said it. He calls them a faithless generation. He asks the question, How long shall I be with you? And how long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. Does it sound like he might maybe be a little frustrated with the disciples? The disciples' lack of faith was reason. 
they could be no help to this pleading and desperate father. You see, they were not helpless. They had been given the power of God over all the power of the enemy. And they weren't taking it. They weren't using it. Steve, if Jesus pronounced overused, hey, behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. You can tread upon them. You can take power over them. You've got it. You see, a lack of faith would be exercising that power. Jesus feeling this father's extraordinary desire to see his son healed and knowing that his disciples had the power to do it, but lack of faith seemed to frustrate him. I'm not sure if that's the right word because I don't know what Jesus was feeling, but it certainly bothered him and stirred in him what sounds to be like a rebuke at the very least, does it not? So they brought him and when they saw him straightway, the spirit began to tear him and he fell on the ground and he wallowed, foaming. This should just move your heart. You should think about this father. He asked his father, How long ago since this came unto him? And he said, This has been with him since he was a child. So now what seemed helpless and horrible just got what? Just got taken up a whole nother notch. This has been going on day after day, month after month, year after year in his life. This father is at his wit's end. He, he doesn't know if Jesus is the Messiah. He doesn't know what he can do. But he, just, he said, if there's anything you can do, I'll bring him to the craziest doctor. I'll try anything. Please. This fact is only recorded in the book of Mark. It seems to make the situation worse. This was not something that just happened in the last year of his life. It had been going on. The foul spirit, if it can said to be so, had grown deep roots inside the boy and had gotten deeper and stronger as time had passed. Verse 22, oftentimes it cast him into the fire, into the waters to destroy him. Oh, but God, but Lord, Lord, if thou can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. This man said the wrong thing to Jesus. The Bible says that when we pray, we must do what? We must believe. You don't go, oh God, if you can do this. And I've prayed for my wife over and over again. And many of us have prayed for situations. And that never once should we ever come to God asking Him if He's able. We know He is. Amen? The healings haven't come when I prayed because of the lack of faith. In fact, when I pray for my wife, I don't pray, God, heal her. I know He can heal her. Lord, Lord, you love my wife more than I do. Lord, you know her sickness better than I do. God, if it is your will for her to be healed, Lord, I know you're able and I know you can do it. And I believe, Lord, in you. But Lord, if not... Lord, give me some grace to deal with this situation. That's partly what moved me from being a Pentecostal to a Presbyterian. I didn't lack the faith. I never, I never faced a situation wondering somehow if God could do it. In fact, I thought the whole idea was absurd. People would get up there and they'd go, Well, the reason why this isn't happening, I'd be like, Well, that's not why it's not happening with me. I don't understand. I don't understand. I absolutely believe. I know the Lord. I talk to the Lord. I have faith in the Lord. I know He loves me. I know He hears me. And if He isn't doing it, there must be something I'm not understanding about God's Word. So Jesus replied to him, 
If thou can believe, all things are possible. Now he sets a condition here to the boy's healing. Jesus has not done this before. You won't go and read in the stories of the other healings where Jesus set a condition on, hey, if you can believe, it's going to work out just fine. He doesn't do this. He meets people. He doesn't ask them if they believe or not. He touches people. He finds people in desperate situations. He tells them. It all depends on His faith. You think somehow Jesus had a lack of faith? Obviously not. But He says to him, do you think Jesus needed this man to partner with Him for Him to be able to heal the boy? No. But he was trying to teach his disciples something. You see, he was trying to teach his disciples they were going to have to have faith. And he was trying to show that, you know, even if the people you're trying to heal don't have any faith, you better have it. And you better do like it says in James. A double mind of man is unstable in his ways. That man shall not receive anything of the Lord. If a man asks, he must ask in faith, believing that God is able to do it. You don't come to God going, God, I'm not sure if you're able to do this, but if you can do it. I mean, come on. We come to God in faith. We don't know what God will do. We know that Jesus asked this cup to pass from Him. We know that Peter asked that that, that He would be healed. We know that Paul wanted to be healed three times and would not be healed. It wasn't a lack of faith. It was that God had another plan. But in this boy's life, he had a plan to heal him. And that plan involved him having faith. I was talking to Andy about this before. And, and I was saying, when Jesus said to the rich young ruler, sell all you have and give to the poor, what was now the rich young ruler's requirement by God? Is that every man? Every man that comes to Christ has to sell all he has and give to the poor. Is that what the Bible teaches? Everybody say, the Bible does not teach that. But if Jesus says to you, Christina, Christina, if you're going to follow me, sell all you have and give to the poor, guess what? That's the command for you. And that command was for uh, the rich man, the young, rich young ruler. That was his command. And he didn't do it. And as a result, he went away without the blessing of God. And here this man was coming and he's telling him, if you believe, all things are possible. Jesus, it seems, was making a point in this healing. He was showing us how hopelessness can turn to faith. And it can. And I would argue that when we come to the place of hopelessness, that it itself can open the door to faith. Once we've come to understand that there's nothing that we can do, we give up our fight to change what we cannot change. And and faith comes. Despair. Faith and despair are before our eyes. There are only two options. But for those who believe God offers us the free gift of faith. We know the Bible doesn't teach that everyone who has enough faith will receive their healing. But in this case, this father and son, this day, this father's faith was required. Perhaps that's why Luke includes what the man says to Jesus. Remember, he had said to Jesus, If thou can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. To which Jesus replied what? If thou can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Jesus was not about to heal the boy according to such a faithless request, if you can. Verse 24, straightway the father of the child cried out and he said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. 
So there was a measure of him that believed and we find ourselves in that situation. We want to be able to pray by faith and we want to be able to, to, to believe that God is hearing us and that he's able and that he's going to come to our aid. We want to believe that. But we're faced with our flesh and our own weakness and we say, Lord, I believe, but Lord, help me. You see, that's what growing up is all about. Growing up in Christ from the child who is hopeless and faithless, who can't do anything when he's not there to do it for us, grows up one day to be able to believe, you know what, I believe God can do this. Help my unbelief. That's why Christ could say, if you just had a little tiny bit... People of God, let us, let this be our prayer as we face our own helplessness to save our children, to help them grow in grace, to help them conquer sin in their lives as they face learning disabilities, struggle with their self-images. Oh God, may we with tears cry out for them today. Oh God, turn our faithlessness and helplessness into faith in God. Verse 25, when Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit. And he said to him, thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge you, come out of him and enter into him no more. And the spirit cried now. The boy had been crying. The father had been crying. And now who's crying? The spirit. He cried and he rent the boy. And he came out of him and he was like one that was dead. And so much so the people around said, The boy is dead. Jesus took the boy by the hand, just like he had Jairus' daughter. He was not dead. Sometimes the things that God takes us through and our children through, we can't really bear them. It's like watching our wives give birth. It's like, I can't take it! And just when we think it's going to kill us, It doesn't. Jesus took him by the hand and he lifted him up. And he arose. Verse 28. When he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him, Why could we not cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind comes forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. And they departed thence and passed through Galilee. And he would not that any man know it. So he comes to verse 31. And he took the opportunity, it says in verse 31, he taught his disciples, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men and they shall kill him. And after he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying and they were afraid to ask him. In Luke chapter 9, this exact same part of the story is told this way and it is from our text. They were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered, everyone at the things which Jesus did, he then takes right at this moment, right when these things have happened, and he speaks to them. And he says, let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. You see, Jesus was reminding them that one day he would not be there to have faith for them. But if they could have faith... That what he had told them was true. That they had the power over the enemy. That they could cure these diseases. That they could do these things according to uh, and, and by the power of his name. If they would just believe that, then it would be just like having him with them. And that's what God's word is teaching us today. He's not teaching us that we can have everything we want. But he is teaching us that everything in his word that he has promised for you and me is ours. 
and can be accessed by faith if we would turn from our hopelessness and believe in God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have been here many times. I feel like I keep coming to this same place over and again. And Lord, I pray, O oh God, that my helplessness would not be something that troubles me as much as it encourages me because it is a constant reminder of your great power of your ability of your love and your compassion and lord i pray that you would turn these feelings that come and i would turn my face away from despair and i would turn my face to faith in christ's name we pray and all the church said amen Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.